0: the good news is that God brings healing, God restores, and God saves. Amen? Amen. Amen. But I'm not preaching today, so I need to stop. Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, First of all, my name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the pastor here at Zion, and I'm very glad to welcome you with us to our Sunday service. We have been going through a series in the book of Luke, and we are right now in the midst of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, And today we have somebody from our preaching community, one of our leaders in our church who's going to be giving the word. Can we welcome David Gilbert? Oh, the kids. You may be dismissed, kids. Sorry, I cut your applause in half, Dave. You can applause for him now.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Justin. Just keeping me humble. Don't let me get too much applause. I appreciate it. Good morning, church. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles. I know Justin already said it, but Jess, thank you so much. Um, I'm sitting there, you know, just in my own head, just worried so much about what I'm about to speak to others. Um, and then I just felt like through Jess's testimony, God was able to speak to me. Um, and just put it in perspective um, that if even I can't hear from the Lord this morning, then, then something's off. And so I just, I just hope that this time in the Word will just be an extension of that posture um, that Jess was able to invite us into with her testimony of just of just looking at Jesus. And there was something really interesting that she highlighted, just this reality that, that whether you're going through it or whether you're in this position of, of praise because God's been good to you, um, the end result of both of those is Jesus. Um, and so I just want to invite us, as we're looking at the word this morning, um, no matter where you're starting from, if it's from the, the pits or if it's from from cloud nine, that there is a word and an invitation to still meet with the Lord. Um, so yeah, I just wanna I just wanna keep that going. Uh, as Justin said, my name is David. I'm part of the the preaching team here at at Zion, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into the the word with you guys. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, it's January. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it is. Um, as an out-of-stater who moved to New York, I feel personally offended by the lack of snow this year. Uh, I know those of you that have been here your whole lives see it as a, a blessing from the hand of God that you're not <laughs> shoveling anything, or <laughs> but you know, like I'm not desensitized yet. I'm, I'll gladly shovel snow a couple times to get to see it, but I'm from Texas, so that's, that's our problem. <laughs> no, you live in Staten Island. You're not calling me. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I love you. Um, but anyways, I want to start off by asking you a question... About questions, I know it's kind of meta. Um, what was like the last? Just try to think through some of the last questions that people asked you, or maybe if there's particular questions that you feel like you get all the time that you just don't like. And odds are, it's because those questions aren't just questions; they're not something that people is, are using to get information out of you, right? Like there's a there's a normal expectation that we have for questions, which is a question used to get information, like "What's your name?" My name's David. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Where are you going? Those, type, those are like your normal questions. But if you think about it, we often use questions for far more than to just get information. Um, so those of you with kids might, might know you probably do this often. Um, like my mom would be like, hey, are you going to clean your room before guests come? My mom is not asking whether or not I'm going to clean my room. I, I don't have agency. I don't have a choice there. She is telling me, hey, you're going to clean your room before guests come. All right. So that's a question but really, it's a, it's a command. Um, you can also use questions to <clears throat> tell people information, not just to get it. Uh, so whenever I was, I was young, uh, I used to just lose things all the time. And so one time, uh, my mom gave me her her credit card. And she was like, yeah, I know. it's was risky. Um, she's like, yeah, go get some coffee. Um, granted, I was like 12. So like, actually, no, I was like 15. But, but really, it was just like liquid sugar. That's what I was going to get. So I go to Starbucks. I get my cup of liquid sugar. And I start checking my pockets, and I don't have the debit card, the credit card. And I go back to Starbucks. It's not there. So I go up to my mom. I'm like, Mom, what would you say if I told you I lost your credit card, right? I really didn't want to know what she would say because I knew it was going to be painful no matter what. Um, But it was my way of trying to tell her, like, hey, I might have did lose your credit card. Um, We can also use questions to accuse people. Um, This is one I've had to learn to be really careful of as a newlywed. Uh, I will, (laughs) because I still lose everything, I'll walk into the room and be like, Caitlin, have you seen my charger? I'm not asking, you know, where she might have seen it. I'm really accusing her of like, hey, I think you moved my charger and I need to know where it's at. Um, So yeah, working on that one. And then we can also use questions to dodge, to dodge giving information, right? Like, where are you going? Well, who wants to know, right? Uh, So we can use that to dodge. And so I just, I extend that to us, just to us to be thinking, like, questions are really important, and they don't always operate, like, on the surface level like we think they do, and especially in Scripture, this is true. The Bible is full of questions, and I would say 50% of the time, it's not because somebody actually needs information, it's because God's trying to lead somebody to a deeper truth. Um, A good example of this is when that guy comes up to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? He says, well, what do the scriptures say, right? And so Jesus is using, he always does this. He always answers questions with a question to lead to a deeper truth. And so questions are really, really important in scripture. And we're going to see that in our passage today in Luke 7. And there's going to be three big questions. One's going to be asked by some messengers from John the Baptist. And then two questions are going to be asked by Jesus. And so we're going to See if we can dive into these questions, look at how the Lord answers them, and ultimately it's going to allow us to wrestle with some things in our own posture towards the Lord and in our own hearts. So I'm not going to tell you what the questions are yet. We're going to read. I'm going to see if you can spot them, all right? So we're starting in Luke 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 18. So it starts, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, the Lord meaning Jesus, saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what then did you go out to see? A man dressed dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sing a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to gather here as a church. Lord, we all sit in need of your grace this morning. God, we sit needing to hear from your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. We pray that you would open our eyes to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the three questions, did you guys find them? There was like actually like five questions, but some of them were just repetitions of the same question. So I'm going to give you the answers real quick. the three questions that we looked we looked at. We looked at. Um, the first is in verse 20, right? The first question is John the Baptist messenger saying, "Are you the one?" Now I'm going to reframe all these questions just so we can wrap our heads around them a bit better. But the first one, are you the one?" They're essentially asking, "Who is Jesus? Who are you really?" The second question is in verse 24. Jesus asks the crowds, he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And that question, he's really asking them, who is John the Baptist? What did you go out to see him for? And the third one, he asks, to what shall I compare this generation to? And He's essentially asking the crowds, now who are you? All right, so who is Jesus? Who is John? And who are you? And Jesus is going to answer all these questions, and then we're gonna get some things to wrestle with. So in verse 18, we're picking up where, where Johnny left off Last week, if you remember, Johnny uh, walked us through the story of Jesus healing, uh, not even healing, raising a widow's son from the dead, right? It had been her only son. He had died. Jesus walked in. He had compassion, and he raised them from the dead. Uh, If you remember the people's reaction at the end of that, it said that they were glorifying God. They said a great prophet has arisen among us, and then we jump into our story today. And so all of this news had gotten to John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is hearing about this huge miracle that Jesus has, had done. And so he sends his messengers, and they go, and they ask the first question. They say to Jesus, are you the one? And so we immediately need to stop there and be like, well, well which one? Who is they talking about? Is this like a matrix thing? Did they just steal that? Like, no, the matrix stole from the Bible. Um, but who is this one that they are talking about? And in order to know that, we need to kind of backtrack a little bit and remember the ministry and the prophecies concerning John the Baptist, uh, which is cool because we we were there probably about a year ago when we first started talking through the book of Luke. So if you went back to Luke, you don't have to go there. I'm going to read it for you. Luke 1:16 through 17, there's an angel that comes, and he's telling John the Baptist's father, like, hey, a son is going to be born to you. And he says, and this son is going to go before you in the spirit of Elijah. Now, Elijah was like, the Old Testament, just like boss of prophets. Like every Hebrew person knew about the prophet Elijah. This one was just like the prophet of prophets. And the prophecies were saying that before the Messiah came back to redeem Israel, another prophet was gonna raise up and he was gonna be just like Elijah. And so when this angel comes and he talks to John's father, he says, hey, your son is gonna be the second Elijah that people are expecting before the Messiah. And he's going to prepare the people for God. All right, so that was one prophecy concerning John, that he was going to prepare people. In John 1 this is after he's born, his father is prophesying, and he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. All right, so we know that John is supposed to prepare a people, and he's also supposed to prepare the way for the Lord. And the last one, and this one I think is, is really important for our text today in John, or sorry, in Luke 3 15 through 16. So this is now John has grown up. He started his ministry, and if you remember what his ministry was, he went out into the wilderness, and then he started baptizing people, and he was calling people to repentance, and he was saying, repent, the kingdom was at hand, and he was baptizing those who were willing to repent of their sins, and in Luke 3, 15 through 16, it says, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, but John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the one who is coming, this one that John's messengers were talking about, was gonna be this one that John came before, but this man was gonna baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire is another way to think about judgment. So he's gonna bring the Holy Spirit, and this Messiah was also gonna bring judgment. And so whenever they say, Are you the one? When they ask Jesus that question, they say, Are you this man? Are you this person who is supposed to come, this Messiah who is going to come, pour out the Holy Spirit, but also bring judgment? And so that's who our one is. But then we have another conundrum, which is why is John even asking this in the first place? Because if you remember, Jesus was one of the people baptized by John, right? And this voice came from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son who I have begotten, right? Like it's pretty clear, like Jesus is a big deal. But suddenly John is sending messengers saying, wait, 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 but are you the one? And for those of us who have grown up in the church, grown up reading about Jesus, right, like we kind of start with the end in mind, like from the beginning of the Gospels, we know Jesus is the Messiah. But John, at this moment, isn't quite sure. And why is that? Personally, I think at this point, it's because John is disappointed. You say, what do you mean, David? Disappointed by what? So imagine you spent your whole life working for something. And I heard some people talking about football this morning. So imagine you spent your whole life like preparing to be a coach and you just think, like, one day I'm going to have the best football team ever. And you become, you become a coach, right? And you get your football team, and then you guys just start to get obliterated that season. And it's, like, immediate disappointment. Like, this isn't working out how I worked my whole life for this to work out. John was not playing football, um, but he was in a bit of a similar thing. He he'd spent his whole life living under these prophecies about him that he was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the person finally shows up who he thinks is the Messiah, but suddenly things aren't working out as he expected. So first of all, Jesus wasn't doing the things that John expected. Remember, John said Jesus was going to do two things. What were they? Baptize with the Holy Spirit and bring fire, bring judgment. Okay, but so far, all we've really been seeing Jesus doing, and these are good things, right? He's been healing, he's been raising the dead, but we haven't actually seen the Spirit poured out on anybody yet. And the second thing was he was supposed to bring fire. Now, fire means Judgment, And if you go back and you read the prophecies around John's birth, they were expecting God to finally bring judgment on Israel's enemies. Now, who were their enemies at this time? It was the Romans, right? But literally, if you go back eight verses from this, uh, Jesus is healing a Roman servant. And so suddenly, like, John's like, things aren't computing. Like, you're doing a lot of good things, but you're, like, helping the Romans out. Like, where's this Holy Spirit? Where's this fire? Where's this judgment? Jesus wasn't doing the things that John expected. And the second thing was, this really wasn't even working out for John. Even though Jesus had come on the scene, like John's own circumstances had taken a turn for the worst. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he's sending these messengers from prison. John's in prison at the time, and so he sends messengers to go find Jesus. That's why he can't go for himself. So he's saying, yes, the Messiah is here, but but what about me? Like, I'm suddenly in prison. I'm literally just waiting around until... I can get beheaded. So he had this expectation of what the Messiah was going to bring. He's going to bring the Holy Spirit. He was going to bring judgment. Like I'm sure he expected like Jesus was going to roll in, overthrow the—well, first, he was going to pour out the Spirit. There's going to be this huge religious revival among the Jewish people, right? And they were going to rise up, and they were going to overthrow the, uh, the Romans. And then Jesus was going to sit on the throne, and John was going to sit at his, his right hand, and all things were going to be good. And so he had this expectation, but then suddenly he's sitting under the reality that none of these things are happening and it gets confusing. How many of you can kind of like relate to that in your own life, right? Have you ever like had these encounters and these discoveries about Jesus, right? Where like, oh my gosh, he, he really is the son of God. He really is everything that he said he was, and he really is good, and he really has forgiven my sin. And then as life starts to play out, things get a bit complicated, right? Like maybe like these financial breakthroughs you were expecting never never happened, or then maybe the, the family member that you've been praying for, they never get saved, and, and things start to get a little bit confusing, all right? But Jesus responds to these things. So let's look at at verse 22. It says, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what did Jesus do? just do there? He, he, there's, there's only two verses of scripture that he just said for his answer. But what he did in those two verses was he actually quoted across four different verses from the book of Isaiah. And just for reference, if anybody like takes notes and wants to look these up later, it's Isaiah 26, 18, 29, 18, 35, five through six, and Isaiah 61, one. Now all four of these verses were verses that would have been known to John and his disciples because these were verses from the Old Testament, all right, Isaiah was like 500 years before Jesus, but all of these verses were prophesying about the future Messiah and what that Messiah was gonna do. And so one of them is Isaiah 61.1. I just wanna read this one real quick. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So this one literally says, he says, good news to the poor. That was something that Jesus just quoted in his answer to John's messengers. So basically what Jesus is saying by quoting these four verses in Isaiah, he's saying that, that Messiah that Isaiah was prophesying about, like, like I, that's me. I'm not just a prophet. I'm the Messiah. And then Jesus says, but blessed is he who is not offended by me. So what is he saying to John? He's saying, John, I know your situation's tough. I know this isn't looking how you expected, but I'm still the Messiah, my ways aren't your ways, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, but take heart. That's what he he means when he says don't be offended. He says don't get discouraged, don't be offended by this, that it's not working out in the way that you wanted. Take heart, because my ways are not your ways. I know what I'm doing. And I just want to say, I think that's Jesus's response to us too. If you find yourself in this position where you're like, Jesus, like the things in my life aren't working out the way that I would have you do them. Just hear that response to John that my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I am the Messiah, I'm working it out. Don't be offended by me. Don't lose heart. Keep the faith. And so, this is Jesus. He is the one that they came and they asked for. And then, Jesus does something interesting in verse 24. He changes gears. All right, so he got to ask a question. So, the messengers ask him a question, he answers. And then he turns around and he asks the crowd that's with them, with him an answer. Or, sorry, he asks them a question. This is in verse 24. He says, and when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And this is that second question. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Remember, John's ministry was happening out in the wilderness. So he's saying, what did you go out to see? Who was out there? Who was John? He says, did you go out to see a reed? Now, a reed is like just a... I don't know, a big stick-like plant, all right? I'm not a, a plant biologist, but anyway, it's just, it's a big plant, right? And it, the thing about a reed is its it's got roots, but like it blows really easily in the wind. And so they're saying, what did you go out there to see? Did you go out there to see some man that was like an easy pushover that just did whatever people wanted him to do? He's like, no. Uh, did you go out to see somebody who was dressed in fine clothing, some bougie dude with a bunch of power? He's like, no, you find those guys in cities. He says, what did you go out to see? And he answers it in verse 27, he says, yes, you went out to see a prophet, but not just any prophet. Like, you went out to see the prophet of prophets. And he quotes a, a verse from Malachi about John the Baptist. And so what is, what is Jesus saying? How is he answering this question? Who is John? He's saying, basically, John is the holiest man that you could have met on this side of heaven. John was the holiest man you could have met on this side of heaven. But, okay, in verse 26... Or sorry, no. This is verse twenty-eight. He says, "But I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." What is Jesus doing here? He literally just spent verses like bragging on John. He's like, "John's my boy. He is the prophet of prophets. You're not going to find anybody holier than him." But the person who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so it's important that we remember what is the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about heaven, all right? He's not saying those who are in heaven right now are greater than John the Baptist. He's not talking about like a, a secret group of like super Christians and all these people are greater than John the Baptist. Who was he referring to? Honestly, he was referring to us. Now, what do I mean by that? He wasn't, in that moment, he wasn't thinking necessarily about Zion in the 21st century, but we are a part of what he is talking about. Because remember, what was John prophesying was going to happen? He said the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. And so what Jesus is saying is that, yes, John has been great, but something is coming that's going to make all those who receive it even greater than that. And that something was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying that those of you that are about to receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to surpass even John all right? And this is something that scripture continues to talk about when it talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God wasn't something that was far off. It wasn't something in the past. It wasn't something in heaven that people couldn't get to. The kingdom of God was something that was coming as Jesus came to earth. And when Jesus finished his earthly ministry, died on the cross, and the Holy Spirit started to get poured out, that was what he was referring to when he said that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we are simply a continuation of that. Um, Scripture reflects us in 1 Corinthians 6:19 uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit and what we become when the Holy Spirit is on us. Paul says this. He says, "We become like temples of God by becoming temples of the Holy Spirit, and that when we receive God, we were bought at a price. And so I just want to speak that over us real quick because we realize that when we have the Spirit that we walk in the kingdom of God and that we are something even greater than John. you see because John had to come and he had to be the one to call people to repentance. He had to be the ones to call people to come and get right with God. But when you've repented and you've had the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is the one that's constantly going to call you to repentance. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one to call you to move in the will of God that's going to instruct you about the things of God. You don't have to experience God secondhand through a prophet anymore. We have direct access to God through his Spirit. But the people react to this in in an interesting way, right? Uh, there's kind of two reactions. I, and if you're, if you're picturing this exchange in, my, in, in, my, or in your head the way that I picture it in my head, there's kind of two groups of people with Jesus, right? Like there's like your normal, like everyday people. For me, they're like wearing like these brown tunics and their hair's kind of messed up. And like they hear Jesus say these things and they're like, yeah, 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 that, that makes sense. It seems like they're able to accept it. And even scripture says that they were able to say that God is just. That means they're able to say, hey, God's, God's right with this. And then there's a second group, and these are like the Pharisees and the lawyers. And for me, they're always like wearing black and they just look generally unhappy, right? Um, And it says that they rejected it. So we have two groups. One is able to accept this and one is able to reject it. But what's the difference between the two groups? It says one received John's baptism and the other didn't. The normal people had been baptized by John, so they were able to hear what Jesus said and accept it. And the other hadn't been baptized by him and they rejected it. Now, why is that? The group that accepted and had been baptized had already repented. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so really, all that's between them and the kingdom of God at this very moment is just waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Whereas the Pharisees, they had still rejected everything that John and Jesus had talked about. So one group could receive it, but the other group couldn't because this other group was still trying to receive God on their terms whereas this group was able to go and receive God on his terms. And so that brings us to our last question. This is in verse 31, and this question is actually aimed at the Pharisees. Jesus says, To what then shall I compare the people of, the, of this generation, and what are they like? He says, They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sing a dirge, and you did not weep. Um, so in verse 32, if, if you're like me, um, I used to always just kind of like read over this, this passage because it like made zero sense to me. Um, and so I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know what, what that was. Um, but the good thing about getting a prayer for this sermon is I got to kind of sit in it and do some research. And so he says, we played the flute for you and we did not dance. We sang a dirge and did not weep. What Jesus is quoting here, this isn't like a part of the Old Testament. You won't find this quote anywhere else in your Bible. Jesus is actually quoting like a known song lyric at the time, okay? And so I'm not gonna quote any Rihanna or nothing up here, but like Jesus Jesus is quoting um, culture and media and songs from his day. And he says, we played the flute for you, you didn't dance, we sang the dirge, and you did not weep. Now like, what does that mean? I know none of you have like the 30 AD like greatest hits CD that you could go listen to this to figure out. So I'm gonna tell you. And I'm assuming we don't have any flute experts If you do, come play with the worship band. Uh, No dirge practitioners. All right. So a flute was a wedding instrument back in the day, okay? Like if you went to a Jewish wedding in Jesus' day, you could expect to see a flute. It was an instrument of joy, all right? A dirge was like the opposite end of the spectrum. The dirge would be like slam poetry that you did at a funeral, right? Like it was just, yeah, I know. It sounds like every bit of torture. Like... um, and so you have, on one, on one hand, you have an instrument that's a lot of joy, and there's a lot of happiness around it, and then you have this other thing that's just like weeping and used at funerals. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you had wedding songs played to you, and you didn't dance, you didn't get happy. You've had funeral poetry read to you, and you wouldn't get sad. He's saying, what is your problem? Will you please respond to something? Because you see, there was a problem with this part of the audience that didn't believe. They had the full spectrum of God's teaching brought to them. John came and he was saying, repent, the kingdom's at hand, fire is coming, repent or else. And they couldn't have it. Jesus came and he said, I come bearing good news, the dead are raised, the sick are healed, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and trust me. And they wouldn't have it. And so they had this full spectrum and no matter what, they were just still sitting there with their arms folded. And what does Jesus say? He says that wisdom will be proved right by her children. He's saying, we've given you everything that we could give you. You refuse to meet God on his terms. You want him on your terms. The only thing left is for you to sit and wait and see how this plays out. And if we know anything from scripture is that it doesn't play out well. And so I think in that, there's an invitation for us that everybody here in this room could sit and think about their lives and think about the many ways that God has tried to get your attention. And that's what I loved about Jess's testimony at the beginning. Like, she was able to say, like, I was in this place down here, but God came and got my attention. And some of us, we've been in a place up here, and that's where God came and got our attention. But some of us have been bouncing back and forth between those places, and God has been using both of them to try to get our attention. But we've just sat with our arms crossed, and we said, no, not on your terms, God. I want it on my terms. You're still not doing the things that I want. This still isn't looking the way that I want it. And so I'm gonna sit here and wait for you to come to where I'm at. And I just, want, I just want to share that just for a chance to reflect, because I do think that God, for some of us, he has been trying to call us in every way possible. He has been using good news to try to move our hearts towards joy, to understand his goodness and his grace towards us, that we would repent and trust him more. And then for some of us, he has used these rock bottom places that he's, he's brought you just to show you your deep need for him. And both of those, the response is simply Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us this morning that as you reflect and as you think about your life, see, no matter whether you're, you're in a moment of worship or in a moment of hardship, see that as an invitation to come and to cling to him, not to cling to our preferences, not to cling to our plans, but cling to the calling of God on your life right now where he has put you. And so I, honestly, some, some here in this room, I can't help it, like I don't want to preach a fire and brimstone sermon, um, but as I was preparing this, I just felt like God just wanted me to say, like, like stop resisting him. Whether you're in joy or whether you're in sadness, stop resisting him, repent and trust him. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't sit with your arms crossed and have to wait for wisdom to be justified by her children. But come to him now, trust him and believe the gospel because the time is coming where there will be no message in the dumps, there will be no message in the high moments. There's just simply waiting to see what God does but right now there is still an invitation to come to him no matter where he's put you, no matter how he's been trying to speak to you in the seasons of life that you're in, there's an invitation to come to him. And so we're gonna, we're gonna pray. The, the worship band can go ahead and start heading, heading this way, but um, there's gonna be just people open to prayer here on the side. And when the worship band's praying, like I just, I just wanna encourage you, if something, if the Lord is speaking to you through this, if there's an ounce of conviction, or you're saying, you know, I have just resisted God on every front in my life, then I want you to go and I want you to pray with some of the leaders from our church. And maybe you're maybe you're still currently a believer, but you're saying like, no, I just, I feel this inclination in my heart of resistance with where the Lord's had me. And I've been waiting for him to meet me on my terms. I wanna go meet him on his. We just wanna take that time to just pray for you, to minister to you and to be able to point you and approach the throne of grace with you. So Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we worship you. Lord, we thank you for your invitation to grace. God, we thank you that you are the God who meets us in our highs and you meet us in our low. That, Father, every ounce of joy that we've gone through is from you, God, and also the sorrow that we go through is just an invitation to cling to you more. And God, I pray specifically for those with us this morning. Lord, we love them. but Father, I pray for those who resist you. I pray for those who you have tried to speak through through every circumstance of their lives but have still run from you. Father, who are just playing the game, like, yes, they'll come to church, but they're not actually going to approach you. Father, I pray that you would break down that wall, Father, and that you would move them to repentance this morning. God, that they would not be afraid of repentance. Repentance isn't this moment of judgment. It's not this moment of us uh, talking about how bad we are, but it's just this moment of turning from the things that we know lead to death and putting our trust in you, Father. And I just pray that you would lead people to that this morning, God. Give the people who are praying over others this morning power to pray in your spirit. And God, we do pray that your spirit would come and visit us as you move us to greater degrees of obedience in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: all stand as we get ready to worship. I just want to reiterate what David said. I believe that the word of the Lord today is, he played the flute and the dirge and we, he has done so much and yet week after week we have waited and said, God, if you do this, if you do that, and we have not responded. And I know the the prayer is on the side and some of us got to walk around a whole room to get to it, but I wanna say, don't allow a moment to pass for some a little uncomfortableness. Don't allow the moment to pass. Some of us have been longing for prayer, we've been longing for confession, we've been longing for someone to know what has been happening in our life, yet we've allowed moment after moment to pass and without going and sharing and praying with somebody. We read in James this week, If you're sick, if you're going through something, if it's good, there's always reason to be with God, to praise and to pray. Don't allow another moment to pass and another reason to go by before you open your mouth and ask for prayer today. So I'm just gonna say our prayer team is gonna be on the side and I wanna encourage you. If you've allowed moment after moment to pass, don't let that be today. Come and receive prayer.